I'm going to um, start with, uh, I'm going to move to Psalm 119, but I'm going to prefix it with this verse here, which is from John 11 and from verse 9. And it says, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of light in the day? Anyone who walks in the daytime does not stumble because he sees by the light of this world. And then moving on into verse 10. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles. There is no light in him. Now, Jesus, when he talks, he often says things that at first glance seem to make sense. But then when you actually read them, they really don't make sense. Unless, of course, you understand the heart of what Jesus is trying to get to. Because Jesus doesn't mince his words. Jesus is always about trying to get to the heart of the situation. Um, and so when he's speaking and in his teaching, he's always going directly to the heart of the situation. And, and more often than not, because we don't have eyes to see, we don't really see what he is saying. You know, even some of the parables that he's talking about, even to this day, some people are like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. You know, the, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, you might think, well, it's about being kind to other people. Uh, well, actually, no, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's talking about, you know, how the law can't save you. And, and, and even the amount of pennies that were given to the innkeeper is a symbol of, from the Old Testament, of salvation and the price for a ransom and all this kind of stuff. But it's lost on so many of us because we don't have ears to hear or eyes to see. So when Jesus is always talking, it's like, well, what is he talking about? Is he, is it, what does he mean? You know, um, there are 12 hours of daylight. Well, yeah. Um, anyone who walks in the daytime doesn't stumble because he sees by the light of this world. What's he talking about? The sun? Is he talking about himself? What is he talking about? But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. Okay, and so we, we, we're wondering, what is, what is he going on about? What's, what's he trying to say here? Well, to answer this question, we need to go across to Psalm 119. You can all turn to Psalm 119 now. <laughs> it's all these digital things. You can't hear the page turn. That just sort of just set up and sells me. I can't hear any page turns. Um, and uh, we're going to look from verse 4 of Psalm 119. And it says, you have ordained your precepts that we should follow them with careful diligence. Oh, that my ways be established to observe and keep your statutes. Then I will not be ashamed when I look to all your commandments. I will give thanks to you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not abandon me. Now, when I was an early Christian, you read things like that and, and we often don't really understand what the psalmist is getting to. Because you see, there are three types of Christians. You've got a fleshly Christian, uh, what you call a carnal Christian. They're generally the what you get when you first get saved. You're, you're kind of, you've just come out of the world, you've just got saved, you've got a lot of learning to do. So you're kind of in that place. And then we've got the soulish, soulish Christian who are, have learned some stuff but still not quite, in, not quite really where you know, they need to be in their mind yet. And then we get the spiritual Christian. Now, the problem is, is that and many of us in many different aspects, we kind of tend to gravitate between point one and point two. And every now and then we get to point three and then we're back to point two and back to point one. And when it comes to understanding the word of God and the commandments of God, if you are fleshly or soulish, in your understanding of the word of God, what it will do to you is it will give you a warped perspective of the heart of God. Because what you will do is you'll see the commandments as these kind of prohibitions, 
that you can't do this and you can't do that and it's these really constrictive kind of fence work that God has given to us or you, you live in fear because you haven't done this kind of religious tick box that I haven't done this today and I haven't done that today and if I don't do those things I'm going to get a good whack from God the Father. And it kind of warps your perspective of God, it warps your perspective of the scriptures and and it can leave, depending on your denominational, denominational bias and how you've been brought up, you can come to a place where you almost live in fear of God. Now the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, but that's a reverential, worshipful fear of the Lord, not a terrified fear of the Lord. Only unbelievers will get that, unfortunately, as they stand before the God and they realise that he is real and they realise he's altogether beautiful and all the nonsense things that they thought about him just wasn't true. That will be a terrifying moment. I would not like to be in that moment. But when, when we stand before the Lord, we will know it's our Father and we will see him and go, hallelujah, he's more beautiful and glorious than I could ever imagine. We'll all fall to the knee and we'll all confess Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah, blessed be the Father, blessed be the Son and blessed be the Holy Spirit. That's what it will be like in those days and just overawed by his goodness, by his majesty, by his power, by his glory, hallelujah. And knowing that we're sons and daughters of this glorious God and that we have the gates of heaven wide open to us and God is saying, come on in my beloved children and enter into your rest hallelujah so when we look at these scriptures about walking in God's ways from a spiritual perspective is a completely different angle you see religion would teach you that you must do this and you must do that and you must do this and you must do that because if you don't God will not be pleased with you and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you're kind of living under this burden which no one can really do because we can't do these things in our own strength there goes then the cop-out answer. Well, if I can't do it in my own strength, why bother, right? Um, but, so, but when we come to a spiritual point of view when it comes to God's word, we suddenly see things from a very different perspective, which takes us back to that John scripture. You see, why do you think God gave us the word of God? Why do you think God gave us his, like his commandments in the New Testament and the, New, and the Old Testament? Why, why do you think that he did that? You see... You and I, if we, now guys, you're going to relate to this, if you buy like a dishwasher from Curry's, right, they come with that thing called a manual, okay? And I tell you what, guys, who, who's done this? You've got a manual sat right there on the side, but to figure out how to switch it on, you YouTube it instead. Yeah. Huh? You're either scratching your head or has your hand gone up? Okay, so most guys, like, I'm not gonna read the manual, I'm just gonna like you look on YouTube and see, see what the answer is. But you see, the Bible is God's manual for, for a human being. It's like saying, if you wanna know how to live the best way, the way that you have been built and designed, and if you wanna get the optimal performance out of that human body, both in spirit, soul, and flesh, then if you live your life according to these ways, you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have God's favour upon you in your life, hallelujah. You see, that's, that's the difference between a spiritual understanding and a carnal or a soulish understanding of the word of God, where it's like it's a, a list of things I've got to do and if I don't do it, I just whack myself and whip myself because I'm not good enough and I'm not making the standard. Whereas from the spiritual perspective, it's like, God has given us these, this highway of holiness, this, this way that we are to walk in it. And if we walk in it, we can walk in a path of blessedness and peace. Because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. Hallelujah. 
And a lot of Christians aren't very joyous, are they? Oh, I'm not a very happy Christian. But God wants you to be full of the kingdom of God. We are carriers of the kingdom of God. God wants us to take that which is in heaven and bring it down onto the earth. And nobody else can do it. And I keep saying this. Nobody else can be carriers of the kingdom of God except you. It's all down to us, guys. You know, oh, I'm just waiting for a sovereign move from God. Good, keep waiting and waiting and waiting. He's commissioned you, not us commissioning him. He's commissioned us saying, go into all the world, make and baptize and make disciples of all nations. All nations, hallelujah, glory to be God. We have a job, we have a privilege, we have a responsibility, hallelujah. You got your hand up, Paul, you're all right. I'm resting. Oh, you're resting it. You're like, like that on the wall. I thought, I thought he's like, I want to say something. Okay, just thought I just, you know, in case you're okay. Um, so back to Psalm 19, 119. You have ordained your precepts that we should follow them with careful diligence. Now, what it says in the Hebrew there and in the Greek is not careful diligence, but to guard the commandments. And when I read that, I first thought, guard? Guard his commandments. Why, why would you guard them? What does that even mean? But then I realized, because it says to observe them intently and to guard them, it means to watch over them, to protect them, like there's something very fine and precious that they don't get broken. Do you see the context? You know, when it says, do not break my commandments, it's you've got to guard them and protect them so that they don't get broken. Because these very precious things are the very essence and the keys and the ingredients to making you and I whole. As a pastor, I, have to, I, I do a lot of ministry with people that have got some really deep-seated issues because when people kind of get saved, they become Christians. And actually, a lot of Christians don't really ever get any ministry. They just come in and they just they, they say, well, I'm just going to be a disciple and read my Bible and pray. But they never get any of the deep-seated issues dealt with in their lives. So consequently, we have Christians that have been going for a long, long, long time, some people, and they've still got the same baggage and the same issues from long, long, long ago. And the reason behind that is because they used to walk in the paths of darkness. And when we walk in the paths of darkness, and this is something that, that I think is very dangerous in modern day Christianity. It's, it's not, we don't talk about sin anymore, do we? Because it's like, oh, we want good church numbers. We, we don't want to talk about sin because, you know, that, that's just uncomfortable. People don't want to hear about sin. But you see, the thing is, sin is what gets people into bondage and it what gets people into darkness. And it can cause demonic oppression and cause all manner of problems to people. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life in abundance. Jesus said, it's for freedom that I've come. And if, if Christ wants us to be free, then we have to deal with the bad stuff so that you can become free. Hallelujah. And as I've been ministering to people over the years, you can see that they've walked the path that is not the path of righteousness, but they've walked the path of darkness. As it says in John, you know, people are walking in the darkness. They don't know where they're going. And consequently, they pick up all this baggage from darkness. They become hurt. They become used. They have guilt. They have pain. They have shame. You see, it's something that we need to really understand is the devil is out to rob, kill, steal, destroy. That's all he cares. That's all he wants. Do you want to know why he wants to do that to you? Because he's envious of you, because he knows what you will become. Because according to Corinthians, one day you will judge angels. That means people like him. 
He doesn't want you to get into that glorified state. He will do everything he can to rip humanity and rob God of humanity and get them to hell. And as long as the church refuses to talk about the key issues that are keeping people in bondage and locked up and going to hell, the longer the church does that, the more people are going to go to hell. And it's a hideous crime and it breaks Jesus' heart. The church should be just in love with Jesus, just on fire for Jesus, and showing a new way, which is an old way, and showing the path of righteousness and peace and joy, that people will look to us and be attracted by godliness. Because you see, godliness does one of two things. It winds people up, or they're attracted to it. The reason why it winds people up, because, here's a good example. There was a time, a long time ago, I remember going around someone's house, and my wife was going to start homeschooling. And I said, oh yeah, my wife's going to start homeschooling. And he got really aggressive because he just like, why would you do that and all this kind of stuff. And it, it was because he immediately became um, self-conscious and he immediately became, I can't think of the word right now, but just convicted by knowing how schools are and maybe, well, what I did back then wasn't good enough and all this kind of stuff. And he got really angry because unfortunately that's kind of what righteousness does. But you see, we want to show the righteousness of God in a way that not that you should do this and you should do that, but actually showing people what it's like to be someone that walks in the ways of light and not in the ways of darkness, how that we can be free and not walk in bondage. You know, I deal, as I said, as a pastor with people, especially young people. I mean, I mean I'm not being funny, guys, but the, the stuff that young people are going through right now, whatever you think you know, times it by 10 at least. It is beyond what you could ever think or imagine. It is foul, the things that our young people have been brought into. Our society has taken away all the barriers. There are no barriers anymore. There is no right. There is no wrong. Apart from if you go over 60, you'll get a speeding ticket. There's no morality in this country anymore. And there can't be any morality anymore because we've done away with God. So when humanism becomes the imperial thing in which we based our society on, and well, who's to say what's right and wrong? Because we're, we're humanist. I'm, I am my own God. I can say what I think is right and I can say what's wrong. And so therefore, the erosion of the barriers and, the, and those limits that God has put in place disappear. Why do you think God put those limits in place? Why do you think God said, don't commit adultery? Because it wrecks families. Why did God say, don't commit murder? Because it wrecks and destroys people's lives. Don't lie and all these kinds of things. Oh, don't tell me about the Ten Commandments. I'm, under, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. It's like... No, it's, it's God is trying to show us there is a way where you could either be like some of these poor teenagers that are living in a place of utter darkness and their, their souls are being ripped and ravished and torn apart by the enemy or they can walk in God's ways and have God's peace and God's blessings and God's anointing on their lives. Hallelujah. Oh, that my ways be established to observe and keep your statutes, that my past may be made sure, that my past may be made fixed. I mean, King David, I mean, he's got a revelation about God that I think few of us understand. He understood things about the nature of God and, and God's, God's word. I mean, he was in love with God and he was in love with his righteousness. And the heartbeat of every Christian should be, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And it's like, Jesus, I want to obey you because I love you so much. 
Quite often we want to try and do it the other way, make people obey Jesus. And it's like, well, no, because you can't, because if their heart's not in the right place, then they won't and they can't. The first of the Ten Commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind. Why put that at the first part? Because if you haven't got that bit right, then forget the other nine. Everything must come from the place of love. And the church needs to get a zeal back and a love back again for Jesus. We want to see holiness back in the church, not this kind of rigoristic set of you, thou shalt not and thou shalt, but serving the Lord in the beauty of holiness, that God's presence can be amongst his people again, because we are a holy people, a people that love Jesus and are sold out for him, rather than a compromising, weak way that actually doesn't really set people free, because Jesus has come to set us free. Verse 6 says, then I will not be ashamed when I look to all your commandments. How many of us have walked around in guilt and shame because of the things that we've done in our past or the things that we've even done as Christians? Because we've, we've got our feet in two camps. We've got one foot in Egypt and one foot in, in the promised land, but we're still torn. And because of that, we're never really free of Egypt and we're never really fully in the promised land and the blessings of God because we haven't yanked ourselves out of that place of bondage. And Jesus wants his people free. Let my people go. Hallelujah. And then it says in verse seven, it's really powerful. I'll give thanks to you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Now you've probably not heard a sermon like this for a long time, right? It's like, whoa, this is a bit of a heavy sermon. But actually it's not a heavy sermon. It's actually life-changing, it's revolutionary, it will change your life. It can take you from being in a place of demonic oppression to a place of being free and, and just gloriously free in the things of God. What would we rather do? Do we want to just keep walking in the paths of darkness and messing and tinkering in the things of the world? Or do we want to be in the things of the kingdom of God and see those glorious things and drink from his river of delights, as it says at the Psalms, and at his right hand are treasures forevermore and pleasures forevermore? What do you want? Do you want the things of the kingdom and the things of glory and God and his spirit reigning in you and through you? Or do you want to have the devil giving you a good kicking and dragging you down those paths of death, hallelujah. What do you want, hallelujah? Where do you want to go? It's really up to us. Amen, that's it. Choose life this day, choose life, do not choose death. Choose blessing over cursing. Choose blessing over cursing. Again, in, in, in the ministry that I do, I have to cut a lot of Christians off from a lot of curse type stuff because of where they've been in their lives. And a lot of Christians don't understand something. You see, you've got these commandments and things, which is all good and well, but actually, if you're a born again believer and you've been baptized, you have died with Christ in the waters of baptism. So that means all of those issues, all of those problems that you used to have, even ones you still think you've got, were crucified with Christ 2000 years ago. So when you come out of those baptism waters, you are a new creation. The problem is, is that most of us don't realise it and we've had no teaching on it and we're not walking in it. But when we realise that we're free, and so what I do when I minister people, I take them back to the moment of the baptism. We confess those things that they've done in their life and they just get unlocked and they get set free from those things as they realise, I am a new creation. 
Those things don't have any hold on me anymore. Jesus bore the curse of the law. Jesus bore my sicknesses, bore all my guilt and my shame and all of my pain and all of those things that have held me back and drowned me and kept me in darkness for so long were already dealt with. So why am I now continuing to walk in darkness? Hallelujah, glory be to God. And people get set free. And Jesus wants his people free. Hallelujah. I'm reminded of that story when uh, the fact Jesus heals that woman who's bound up like this for 18 years and, uh, and, and she, she gets healed on the Sabbath. But of course, religion says, six days thou shalt heal, but thou shalt not, thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. Okay, because that's just what we do, because that's breaking the commandment of God. Again, a fleshly and soulish understanding of the commandments, not knowing the spirit of the law, which is to have freedom and that people would be blessed and showing the love of God. Not this kind of religious observance thing, but this thing that comes out of love. And Jesus said, is it not right that this daughter of Abraham, who's been bound by Satan, these 15 years be loosed this day. You loosed your ass this morning or your donkey. Do you not think it's right that this woman should be loosed? And they all went away ashamed at what they said. This is the heart of God. And also from John 11, when Lazarus rose up out of the dead, what was the first thing that Jesus said to the people to do to Lazarus? That's it, loosen him, unbind him. Because this is what happens when someone comes to new life in Christ, Quite often they still got all like the, the you know, they're still, I mean, it must be quite comical. What you do? Trying to get out. Quick, quick, unbind the guy, he's gonna hurt himself. And it's just like when we, when we become Christians, we're all bound up like, like a mummy. And Jesus is like, guys, I want you to be unbound. You need to be set free. It's great that you're alive and you've been resurrected, but you need to live a normal life. So unbind him, unloosen that guy. And that's what Jesus has come to do. And part of that pathway that Jesus has given us is not just all about instant wham, bang, healings and miracles. Now we need healings and miracles, but actually you can have everyday healings and miracles if we just walk in the methods that God has given us in the word. He has given us everything for life and godliness. I was speaking to someone this morning and he said there was this book that had been written by this guy. And he said out of all Christians that had been prayed for to be healed, he worked out it was only about 5% of Christians that actually been prayed for that got healed. And so he was like, well, that's really bad statistics. Why is that? And after much research, he, and this, this might sound like a judgment, but it was just, it just looking at the statistics. He realized that as Christians grew in their love for God and, and started walking in the teachings and the commandments of the Lord Jesus, people were getting set free. And as people were still living a worldly lifestyle, many of them were still in bondage. And so, as I preached the other week, we're coming into a new spiritual season. But you see, when seasons shift, you, so for example, we're going from summer to autumn, well, you always, you always see the beginnings of autumn just before the end of summer. Yeah? And then when you're in autumn, it's Andy Elms. Hello, Andy. Good to see you, mate. <laughs> Give him a round of applause. <laughs> he heads up uh, Family Church and, uh, and is a good friend. You want Christina, do you? They're not here yet. I don't know. They still must be still on their way back. <laughs> I'll text Serenity. 
So I've completely lost where I'm at. Right? So uh, where? Sorry. Sorry. Yes. So as we're coming into this new spiritual season, as you go from one season to the next. You often find that as you go into autumn, you can still see elements of summer. And as summer is ending, you can see elements of autumn coming in soon. And I believe God wants us as as the church to start now taking advantage of the season that we're going to come into and really start taking Jesus much more seriously and be more in love with him and just all out for our Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And people often say to me, I'm struggling with my obedience to Christ. But the simple answer is, if you want to obey God more, love him more. Love him more and more. Become more and more and more and more in love with him. Do you know, what, do you know those Christians when they first get saved, right? Those sort of people where you go, well, they'll grow out of it in a few months' time. They're just too, they're just too on fire for Jesus. You know, I was like you once, but you'll be like me one day, old and miserable. Okay. <laughs> That's what we should be like all the time. We should keep that radical spirit. We should keep that fire burning. And yes, I know life can grind us down and stuff, but we should just keep seeking his face. We should still keep running the race to win. We should be waking every morning despite what's going on, saying, I'm going to win this race for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to obtain a better resurrection in Christ Jesus. I am going all out for Jesus. I don't care if I have to die for him, but I will go all out. So when I come into the kingdom of heaven, my Lord and Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran the way and you won glory be to God hallelujah that's what Jesus wants for us so now as that that season is now starting to shift Let's shift with that season. Let's get ahead of the curve. Let's not caught me behind the curve. Let's not, oh, I didn't see that coming. Let's get into that place now. Let's start getting radical for Jesus again. Let's start getting on fire for Jesus again. And you might say, but I'm not in that place, Chris. I'm just not feeling it. Do you know how to get to that place? You just ask. You just pray. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I'm not hungry or thirsty. Well, pray that God makes you hungry and thirsty. Then you'll get hungry and thirsty. And then blessed are you for being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Hallelujah. That's all we need to do. Glory. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, for all these good saints, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you help us to walk more and more in the paths of light and not in the paths of darkness. Lord, I pray by your spirit that you will burn your love and your and your wonder in our hearts again, Lord Jesus. Lord, make us more and more and more desirous of you and more in love with you, Lord God. Make us more annoying and radical than we've ever been before, Lord Jesus. Just fill us with your joy because the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and joy. And I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.